what we do here is go back, 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 back. You are listening to the It's Not About You podcast. I am Felicia Baird, and I will be chatting with social entrepreneurs and other inspirational people around the world about all things lifestyle, business, and how they're giving back to the communities around them all at the same time. I hope you guys are all buckled in, and let's do this. Hey everyone, welcome back to the It's Not About You podcast. Um, I am Felicia Baird and I'm pumped that you're here and that you are listening. Today we have a really amazing guest. Her name is Lauren Hugh Pease and she has been my good friend for years. She's warm, she's inspiring, she is someone that I've looked up to for many years. She gives back. Like she does it because she wants to, which is amazing. She kind of just grew up in a household where that's what you do. And it was just really, really cool to chat with her about stuff that she's passionate about and the giving back that happened throughout her life to inspire her to create the company that she did today. She and her now husband created Ramble and Rescue, which was a dog walking company around the greater Toronto area. And they basically had a mission to help other rescue organizations that have provided them their amazing dogs, and they wanted to give back to them. So they would take a dollar or two per walk and every month give um, a new charity or a new organization all of the money that they raised. And they grew so fast. I just remember her, she just kept coming into work and just talking about how they had like a new neighborhood or a new district in Toronto. And it was, it was crazy. In the span of like six months, they covered all of Toronto with dog walking. And it's just because people like to feel good about giving back and people like to know that their money is going towards other things besides just the business owners. So it's it was really cool to watch that kind of infectiousness just spread and it was it was neat to see. And also just a side note about this podcast I had some sound difficulties. Uh, it wasn't recording properly, so I apologize if there's any glitches. I, you know, we tried to edit it out as much as we could, so just bear with us. Um, and also, if you like this podcast and you like what I'm chatting about, or if you have any comments, I would love it if you can rate and review me. So that would be neat. I don't have any yet. I was thinking of doing one myself, but that'd be lame. So if you want to just do it, that would be cool. So enjoy this podcast. Here is Lauren. How was opening up a dog business? Did you like, did you find that there was like a lot of competitors out there? Oh, there's tons. Like it was kind of unbelievable because we, we were researching a lot and looking into obviously pricing, uh, you know, what are the best areas to open up? And we lived in midtown Toronto at the time. So we wanted to stay close to home, but then it was just unbelievable how many walkers were out there because realistically, when you look at it, it's one of those businesses, it's not that hard to set up. You have to get, you know, your license, you have to get your business properly registered, but then virtually anyone could be a dog walker. Um, and so we took a lot of time to look at, you know, the market, uh, what was out there, what people were offering, you know, types of walks, pricing, and what really stood out to us the most was the fact that no one was giving back to rescues. And, you know, as huge rescue followers and, you know, avid rescuers ourselves, it was just unbelievable to us that that was not like a part of the market yet. And so that's why we kind of really saw the opportunity to get out there as fast as possible. And, uh, yeah, it worked out really well in the end. So It was kind of crazy that no one thought to do that. <laughs> well, it's like, I think it is one of those businesses as well that people treat it like 
you could have a really good profit margin at the end of the day. It's, you know, it's a manual labor job, but you can give people, as some companies do, minimum wage to walk dogs because it's really not that hard of a job. Um, and then you can charge the client then, you know, 20, 25, $30. So there's this huge like profit margin there that I think a lot of people and a lot of businesses were really taking advantage of. Mm-hmm. And we saw that margin. We're like, you know, we don't need a lot of that. We really want to start this to make this industry better, to make people's lives easier and to donate back. And so we saw some room in the margin there to give back. And it was, uh, yeah, it was honestly really shocking to see that it wasn't incorporated into so many businesses considering how many rescue dogs there are in the city of Toronto. Like I'd say probably well over half of dogs are rescues. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm experiencing that with Vinny. I can't even walk them. I have to like walk them at peak times with all these dog walkers because (laughs) it's just like constantly crossing the road every turn because there's just a pack of dogs and he goes crazy. Yeah. Like I'm taking Harry up for 10, 15 minutes. We run into at least four or five dogs. Like there are a lot of dogs in the city. So many dogs. And this guy got in the elevator the other day and he's like, I'm new to this building and I'm afraid of dogs. And I was like, wrong building. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Especially where you are. Like up near us, you know, we're around homes and stuff, but still it's like you literally can't avoid dogs in this city. No, not at all. It's in the elevator, especially. Oh my goodness. Poor guy. (laughs) so you guys gave um how much of your profit how much of your profit did you give back to charities we aimed to give a dollar from every walk we did and we stuck to that for i'd say about the first year and then it kind of got to a point that we were doing very well like we were getting to the point we were donating well upwards of 600 700 dollars a month wow and it just it was fantastic but it also was just you know it became a bit uncomfortable, I guess, when we were announcing on social media, you know, the different rescues we were giving back to. And I think some people were feeling like, oh, why haven't we been chosen yet? Why haven't we been picked as the rescue in the month, this and that? And so we kind of decided to take a step back. We are like, you know, we don't need to give a dollar from every walk to a specific rescue. So we started to kind of divide and conquer the money we had to donate. And we would donate to, you know, GoFundMe campaigns for certain rescue pup surgery. And we would we would designate a rescue of the month, um, but we didn't necessarily announce it as much as we did in the first year. And so we kind of just, we split up the funds so that we were able to help more people. You're not necessarily giving as big of a chunk to a certain rescue, but just kind of spreading the wealth, so to speak. But um, yeah, over the course of two years, we gave, I think it was just under $10,000. So <gasps> wow. Yeah, you guys grew yeah. in insanely fast like I felt like the minute you put that out you just conquered basically the whole east end and then just moved yourself to the west end well it was just like it, it, we were so excited and it it really moved almost too fast it was great and I don't want to complain but just for two people it was our first business and it grew so fast and it was all the rescue community and this way that we had honestly tapped into this thing that was unbelievably not tapped into yet it was just it was huge. It was great. Do you think that that, like, that helped people want to be with you guys instead of other dog walkers because you guys were giving back at the same time? Like, I would say even to our final closing day, 75% of the calls we got were, we are so happy that we found you, that you give back. We have a rescue dog. Like, you guys just seem to understand rescue dogs. And it was, it was just people want to always feel like they're doing something good too. And the fact that by choosing us that they were then helping other rescues, like it was just a win-win for clients. 
Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was amazing to see the rescue community come out. And, you know, we did a lot of work with rescue organizations over the years, too. So I think that really helped kind of solidify connections because then at the end of the day, certain rescues that we were affiliated with, we would kind of offer them help with their foster families. And then for all new adoptive parents, we started this program where every new adoptive family got their first walk free on us. So they at least got to try us, see what we were all about, and end up staying with us, which was a pretty good initiative on our part, which we weren't expecting. So, Yeah, that's, that's awesome. But you guys also had, like, Dog Central at your house all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the amount of fur, for sure. It was like, <laughs> yeah, because at the time we had two ourselves. We had our rescue pups, Harry and Sadie. And then I mean, there was times like, ugh, I don't know, if someone's pipes burst, someone's fire alarms were being tested. We'd bring their pup to our house for the day. And then there was all the overnight guests. It was just oh, like, God. Yeah, it's, yeah it's... We, we learned very quickly. It's how, what our limit was. Oh, Andrew. Yeah to be three three yeah. is the limit yeah so, no more than that uh it, yeah no it was it was a fun a fun adventure but uh yeah always always busy did you guys feel like you had to kind of set boundaries with people like did people start to get too comfortable with being like can you take my dog for the weekend or can you you know did they take advantage of that a little bit um it, no, I didn't find they took, took advantage. People were trying to take advantage in other ways, like trying to get us to put dogs in certain walking situations they weren't ready for or using certain equipment that we weren't comfortable with. People, we found that people were very understanding when it came to daycare and boarding because we kind of set the limits from the get-go. We're like, you know, if your dog's going to come stay overnight at our house, they have to meet our dogs, get along with our dogs. Like, it was a much more intensive process, and we had to feel comfortable with the dog coming to our home. Um, like, we didn't run a daycare or anything like that, but, um, yeah, people, I found if anything, took advantage of the walks themselves because it was, uh, you know, a lot of people when they first rescue pup don't know offhand what's necessarily best for them or what they're used to. And just we learned very quickly what, how, like, how to probably, I guess, incorporate a dog into a pack, into a group walking situation. Um, and so people were honestly trying to push their dogs to getting into, like, dog parks when it was way too soon, like, so many of these pups are coming out of so many crowded situations that you then can't throw them into a dog park where there's you know maybe 10 other walkers there with their five dogs it's just like sometimes it's chaos mm-hmm. um and so we really that's where we had to set our boundaries was telling people like trust us when we say we have your best interests at heart and we'll do this together but we're not going to do this with you just yet because your dog is not ready mm-hmm. so, i'm reading all about <laughs> prince harry and Meghan markle are they <laughs> Are they, like, engaged? They just got engaged this morning. No. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's soon. Yeah. (laughs) I read somewhere that they didn't, like, want a traditional wedding or something, but I don't think that's possible when you're getting married to royal goodness. No. Goodness. Anyway. Oh, boy. (laughs) So many broken hearts. (laughs) So many. (laughs) Which Um, is pretty rain. Is it? Is it big? A lot of blank? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you were saying um that there's like a limit to how many dogs you could bring into a dog park yeah which i don't think a lot of people know about necessarily not maybe a lot of no dog owners know about but it the commercial limit as as, as a dog walker you're called a commercial dog walker essentially when you have more than three and there is a limit you can only bring six 
and all six have to be registered with the city. And, you know, there's, there's quite a bit of rules that commercial dog walkers have to follow in terms of what parks they can go to and whatnot. And uh, it was unfortunate to see how many companies were you know, breaking the rules, um, you know, whether it was for profit reasons, whether it was just, you know, experience in the industry, um, personal choice, what have you, there were quite a few walkers we'd run into that had more dogs than they could. And, uh, I, I don't know, it was just, it was a bit shocking on our part to see maybe the clients didn't know about it. Maybe they didn't know about the rules, but, um, yeah, it was just, it's a, it's a bad situation when you get into a park because you're limited to what parks you can go to, especially the fenced-in ones. And mm -hmm. uh, you get there, and you know there's walkers with ten dogs, and they, you can't. There's no way you can keep an eye on ten yeah. dogs. Like oh I don't God. know how experienced you are, but like ten of them playing at once, mixed in with maybe four or five other walkers' dogs. Like at certain parks, like the Evergreen Brickworks Dog Park, you could have upwards of fifty dogs there at one time midday when it's like peak walking time. And it's just, it's honestly chaos. So it's the walkers all having to be, you know, on their game, watching for behavioral stuff, and then watching all these dogs. It's just, you learn very quickly. You have to stay, you know, sharp on your toes because yeah. things can turn very, very quickly. Yeah. I mean, I take my eye off Vinny for one second. He's already bolting towards another dog. So it's, I couldn't imagine 10. That's so stressful. I, I couldn't imagine it either. Like the days I didn't walk full time, but the days I subbed in, I would try to max myself at, you know, three or four just for my own comfort level and watching the three or four, especially if they're three or four big dogs, like that's, that's enough for me. Yeah. Like that was, yeah. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. I just feel like everyone would just constantly yelling at their dog, like Harry, Sadie, get over here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm probably going to like, just re-ask you a bunch of questions because to everyone listening, my mic cut out. So um, a little audio problem. Um, we, you guys mentioned before that you guys always gave back before you, um, before you even opened this dog walking company. So what, why was it important to you to give back? It's something that was, I think just embedded in the both of us since our childhood, like Trev comes from a family of givers, you know, his parents were always, donating, helping out wherever they could, whether it was not even dog related, but within their church or what have you. And I came from a family where it was just, it was just kind of embedded in myself and my brother from a young age. Like it is your responsibility as, you know, a good human to give back when you can. Mm -hmm. um, and I just remember when I was like, I was really young. I think I was nine or 10. And my mom got a letter from the Toronto Humane Society because she was a monthly donor. Um, and she got this letter all about this dog and where the money was going and this and that. And I remember that birthday, my birthday was coming up in a couple months. I told her, no, don't give me gifts. Like use the money to give it to this dog. And I think just ever since then, it was just kind of in my brain that I wanted to help. It was, it's funny cause I was just always a dog person. Like I, <laughs> I don't know. It was like, we got my first dog when I was seven and mm -hmm. it just, we've had dogs ever since. And I just, I wanted to give back. That was just a part of who I was. And then over the course of the years, I got myself involved, um, helping and volunteering with the SPCA. And then by the time I was 20, I was their youngest monthly donor and uh, actually ended up helping to organize their annual walk. Um, I was the lead volunteer and organized a committee of volunteers and always gave back. And uh, yeah, and then it was just, you know, still to this day, I'm, I'm a monthly donor with them. And uh, so I just always knew if and when I ever started something, it had to be giving back in some way. Cause I just, 
I guess I'm just not that type of person. I don't necessarily need to have a business just for the profits. I need it to do something better for the world as well. Yeah, like to make a difference. I've been trying yeah. to get into the SPCA. It's so hard to get in there. <laughs> I know. Constantly it's, just it's, like, we're not taking anyone right now. It's a tight ship for sure. <laughs> yeah. God, the vetting process is insane. Yeah. Sorry. Weird. Yeah. Hi. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, were your parents big dog lovers too, or big animal lovers? Oh yeah. Like my dad grew up in Guyana with, you know, I think he was surrounded by all sorts of animals and my mom had dogs from however young as she can remember as well. And, uh, when my parents were first married, I think it was like two weeks after they were married my dad was like, Oh, so I've applied for us to, you know, get these two puppies. And my mom's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, thanks for telling me. Yeah. But she, like he didn't tell her what kind of dogs and it ended up being two Bouviers, which are two of the biggest dogs you can get. They were oh literally my gosh. bears. They were, they were bears. Like if you think our dog, Harry's big, like they, they made him look small. Oh my um, God. Yeah. And so <laughs> the poop must've been massive. Oh, just, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but then they have these two massive dogs and then my brother Winston and I come along and Bouviers are herding dogs. So Winston and I would be playing in the backyard and the two dogs would be trying to herd us into a circle. And it was just, I think it was a little chaos <laughs> for my parents. So they, they found them both great homes on this farm in Northern Ontario where they could just live out the rest of our lives on acres, which worked out perfectly. But then, you know, it was only probably like four years later that my parents caved again. They just couldn't live without dogs. And we mm -hmm. got our two Cavalier King Charles Spaniels that um, we had for 15 years. They were beautiful dogs. And Are those big too? Yeah. No, they're little like toy dogs. They're like little Spaniels. But oh, That's okay because um, yeah. you and you and Winston take up the uh, enough space <laughs> we, for the both of you. Exactly. Oh my gosh. It's it always a running joke with my childhood friends. Like our dogs just always seem to be bigger than they're supposed to be. Here we have these like two like what are classified as like toy breed dogs that are supposed to be like 15, 20 pounds. And our Cavaliers were like 30 pounds each. Like my mom had miracle grow in their food or something. Oh my God. And then even with like our lab Lizzie that came next, she was a curvy girl. And it was just like every single dog we and had was just Harry. like super sized. <laughs> yeah. Harry's just a big bear. Oh my gosh. Well, who knows what got into Harry. But yeah. <laughs> um, It's kind of like that reminds me of the story in Georgetown when they bought like a tiny pig. And then it ended up being Esther the pig. It ended up being oh, like yeah. a 400 pound pig. Could you imagine? I kind of want a pig one day. They had to I, renovate their whole entire house to accommodate <laughs> this freaking pig that, like, that's 400 pounds. They thought but, it was going to be a piglet. Those are my kind of people, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, don't get rid of the pig. Renovate the house. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the only logical explanation. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Um, so... So you guys gave back. So then Trev was also big on giving back like his family. That's kind of cool that you guys met and had that same kind of alignment. Yeah, Lauren. I remember it was only like Tim Sintas. Sorry. Just gonna... Are you still there? Yeah. Uh, okay. Now it's good. <laughs> um, yeah, we started dating and I think it was only like two months in us dating. He was like, I can't stop looking at these dogs on Kijiji. I'm like, you were, like he was working like crazy hours still like we were both hustling like trying to move up in our careers and it's like it's really not a good time but he just he had that itch too that he constantly needed a dog in his life or you know to be around dogs and help dogs and he and his brother had rescued 
um, a pup before and he grew up with dogs as well. And so it was, I think I knew pretty early on meeting him. I was like, this is my kind of guy. Like he just needs dogs in his life too. And, um, yeah, then it was only six months and us dating that we adopted Sadie and God, three months after that, that we started ramble. So it all happened very quickly, but so it quick. just worked out in the most perfect way. So yeah, definitely. Um, so when you guys started Ramble, um, did you guys know that there was such a business plan that you could give back? That, like, what inspired you to be able to bid, build a business model around that? I, uh, it was Sadie. It was honestly Sadie. Like, we rescued her in March of 2015. Yeah. And um, we were looking for a walker for her. And I went through four or five companies and, like, like, honestly, you expect living in midtown Toronto, you're probably going to have to pay. Hi. Hi. You still there? <laughs> yes. Okay. Do you want me to start over? Uh, it is the, if you could start answering that question again. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Um, yeah, no, it all, it all started with Sadie, the whole idea for the business. So we rescued her in March of 2015 from Bernard's Beagle Rescue in Buffalo. And, um, was looking for a walker for her because Trev and I were both working full-time at the time. So I interviewed, you know, I think it was four or five companies and I just wasn't impressed. Like there was one company that just didn't get back to me. One guy that came to the house and he just seemed so unprofessional. Like it was just, I was like, how is this that we live in midtown Toronto where you honestly expect good service? Like people around us have money. So you're expecting to not only get good service, but probably have to pay more because of that. Mm -hmm, definitely. And I just couldn't find we couldn't find a company we trusted, but then we had to get back to work. So we settled on the last one. And like, it was within two weeks that they weren't coming at the time they told us what, I never got to meet the walker. I never got a daily update. I'm like, I've just rescued this little pup that's terrified. Like I need to know if she's okay. Yeah, exactly. Like, I can't be paying you, you know, however, hundred bucks a week and just not know how she's doing on these walks. And so it worked out that, um, you know, Trev's an actor as well, and he was in between gigs at the time. And so he took some time off and he was taking care of Sadie. He was like, why don't we start this? Like, you and I know dogs in and out. We've grown up around them. We've helped, you know, however many organizations over the years. It's like, we can do this. Wow. Um, so it's Trev's it, idea. Go Trev. I know. It was, it was just honestly one of those light bulb moments like it's hard to describe but you're just sitting on the couch together being like why don't we do this yeah let's do this and it wasn't even a conversation it was just both of us assumed that if we did this we had to give back in some way because it it just it was started with Sadie and she had a terrible life going from shelter to shelter and we just wanted to help prevent that as much as possible because we had this beautiful 10 year old dog and this was her first home I was like, how is this even possible that she's just in her first home at 10 years old? Um, wow. But yeah, it was just, it was a, that little girl that inspired it all. And uh, yeah, just, we started researching. We probably did, I'd say four to six weeks of really hardcore research. And we launched as of uh, September, 2015. So Yeah, I remember. Oh, um, yeah. Sadie's pretty resilient for the fact that she didn't have a home until she was 10. Honestly, it's, there was such a mystery with her story and, um, you know, with some dogs like that, it's, you're concerned about their health because, you know, you don't know what they've been through. Um, but she had been from what we know, shelter hopping across upstate New York, uh, people were trying to adopt her, but then she'd get returned. And this one family had adopted her, but with 
within a week, they they just didn't want her, and they were leaving their back gate open for her to run away. And beagles are hounds; like she gets a scent, she's gone. And so mm-hmm. she was running away. And so by the third time, this like this rescue organization, Bernard's Beagle Rescue, someone thank God coincidentally found her as she was running down the side of a road, and they convinced the family like you need to do the right thing and just surrender her to us. Mm-hmm. And then as I unfortunately do from time to time looking online for dogs, I don't even know why I do this. I'm just always <laughs> browsing. I just like, it's like, let me just I'm, see. It's like looking up a I'm, car or something. I think I was like on a coffee break at work. I'm like, I'll just like, I'll just go look at some dogs. <laughs> and I'm like, there was her face. And I'm like, that's my dog. That's, that's my dog. Oh, and within a month I was going across the border to pick her up. Hadn't met her but before I even signed the adoption papers, I just knew. Oh my God. Yeah. Not even, not even a FaceTime conversation, nothing. Like had, I got three photos of her. It was just that first one with like the tilted head and the big ears. I was like, Oh, look at that face. And then she had to have some surgery because she had a tumor and she had some bad teeth. And so the, mm-hmm. thankfully the rescue handled that before they, um, they handed her over. But, uh, yeah, I remember I pulled up my car next to the rescue organization's car and I see her through the window and we just met in this random parking lot in Buffalo, New York. And I was just like, yep, yeah, this is my girl. And she's going to come home to Canada with me now. And it's like, it was just fate. It was perfect. Wow. Yeah. Did Trev go too? No, he had to work that day. Oh, so I just, I just yourself. came home with the dog. <laughs> Where did you have to go? Uh, so I adopted her from Buffalo, New York. Uh, the rescue is based um, in Buffalo. And uh, on her way back, I couldn't believe it. I had to pay duty on her. <gasps> I'm like, I'm rescuing a dog from your country and you're making me pay duty. I'm like, come on, people. Oh, my God. How much was she? $50. Oh my goodness for a dog. It's like, it's like, okay, well, good to know. Yeah. It's but. a good thing you loved her. I would have been like, um, are you worth $50 to me? <laughs> I'd even like brought her in with me. I was like, look at this face. You're, You're going to make me pay. Me. Seriously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny. Did they yeah. warn you that she gets into the fridge and eats all of your food all the time? Well, I don't think you, like it's, it's kind of interesting to see what happens dogs when they finally get relax. Their personality comes out in full force. Mm-hmm. And Sadie had the personality of five dogs. Like yeah. here I am thinking, Oh, I've got this sweet 10 year old pup. Like I know, I knew from the get go, we weren't going to have her for long. She had a rough life. She was an older dog. I was like, but we're just going to give her the best life possible. But then she gets into our home. And when she finally relaxed, like two or three weeks later, she really came out of her shell. She was a puppy. I was like, what have we gotten ourselves into? Here she is, like, tearing up and down the hallway, chasing everything, getting into the fridge. I'm like, within two weeks, she had found, we were visiting Charles' parents, and she'd found a way out of their fenced-in yard somehow. We don't know to this day. And she's running across Brantford. I'm like, oh, my God, this dog. She was just so used to running away. I'm like, no, you have to stay with me. I am your person now. This yeah. is not okay. You don't <laughs> like, have a choice. No. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. But, yeah. Um, well, well I, when I had... um. When I had went to go walk her, and I had no idea where anything was in your house, and we came back, and she just walks right to the cupboard and looks at me, and then mm-hmm. I open it up, and it's just like a drawer full of treats, and I was just like, wow, she's so intuitive. <laughs> it was like, I like probably should have researched beagles a bit beforehand, because yeah. their skills are, you do not challenge them. Like, she knew where her drawer was. She could open her drawer with her teeth, and then close it again. It's like... I don't even know how she got into our fridge. Like, 
there was one day when we came home and she seemed like she'd gotten into trouble, like she had that face, but there was no evidence. And then the next day I find an empty treat bag underneath the sofa. I'm like, how long has that been there? When did you eat this? When did you get into the drawer, close the drawer and then hide the bag under the sofa? Yeah. Like she was just a mastermind. Like and then hide it. Oh my yeah. God. That's yeah. such a human yeah. thing to do. I didn't do anything. <laughs> Exactly. Oh my god. So Lauren would always to anyone who's listening, Lauren would always come into work and then be like Sadie got into the fridge last night and then it'd always be after you'd spend hundreds hundreds of dollars at Costco. Yeah. Oh or like Whole Foods. I'll never forget the day I went to Whole Foods and I was gonna make like a really nice meal for Trev, like make a good Sunday dinner and we come home from seeing his parents and there's just like the raw steaks <laughs> on the kitchen floor. She had had one bite. I'm like you bastard child. Uh, yeah, you like you just <laughs> took a bite and you left it. But now we can't eat them because they've been sitting out for how long? Like, <laughs> it was just like, I don't know how she got into the fridge to this day. It was a normal fridge. I think maybe she just opened it with her nose. We should have really got a camera. Yeah. Should have. You should have d- definitely yeah. videotaped that. Yeah. No, we definitely lost hundreds of dollars in groceries to that dog. For oh. sure. Is Harry like God. that? Oh, Harry could care less to eat. You have to convince him to eat. I don't know what it is in his, like, we don't know what Harry is, like half golden, half could bear. be Melamute, could be Husky bear, a little scared if it's wolf maybe, but like, he just, he doesn't need to eat. He's like, ah, I'm good. Like he, this weekend alone, he went on a one day hunger strike just for fun. I was like, okay. So oh we had gosh. complete polar opposite dogs. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, Vinny will just like, you know, when he's sick of his food because we'll get him new food and he'll eat it like right on schedule. And then like the last couple of days, he won't eat until breakfast until like five o'clock at night. And then Jesse's like, did he eat dinner? I'm like, he just ate breakfast. He doesn't need dinner anymore. Well, Harry's just like, he's kind of a little stuck up sometimes. Like we've got him on good food. Like he's, he's a big pup and he's getting older. So we're trying to help his joints a bit more and giving him some, you know, natural oils and things like that. And so I gave him this food with like wild organic salmon. And it's like, why? Like, that is human grade food. What is wrong with you? <laughs> In what world? <laughs> like, just turns up his nose. He's like, mm, maybe later. No, like, thanks. No. Give me pedigree. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. Did any of your workers that were working with Ramble and that continued on to open up their own companies, did they continue your business model of giving back? I think a lot of them will. Like, they, we only hired animal lovers. Like, when it came down to interviewing people, I like, I cared how much experience they had with dogs, but it was more to me, did you live with them? Did you, can you read dogs? Can you, you know, interpret their behaviors? Cause like you could walk for a dog walking company for two or three years and really not truly understand dogs. I really believe you have to live with them to understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we only hired people that had lived with dogs, experience with dogs, but then also had the best interest of the dogs at heart. Like this wasn't just a job to them. Um, and so I think a lot of them probably will continue that. We didn't tell our clients like necessarily they were going to carry over with the dollar per walk or this and that, but I, I, they all have it in them. I'm sure they will, whether it's donations or you know gift bags or whatnot, I'm, I'm sure they will all carry it through. Just they're that kind of people. So. Did, um, did none of the owners ask that when, when you carried over your clients? No, I think they all knew them and they, 
they knew they're good people, but that, uh, you know, starting out a new business, they had to work their numbers as well and figure out what was possible for them. But uh, I think all of our clients just really appreciated the fact that they could stay with their walkers and they could keep that same schedule, same stability, same like pricing, all of that. And uh, so I'm sure people will be curious to see, but um, at the end of the day, I think people just knew that we'd hired people with similar interests and that, you know, they'll, they'll do good in their own way, but um, they don't necessarily need to carry over with our model. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you guys started your business plan, did you guys like kind of foresee just breaking even at first, like making money you said wasn't a huge option, like not option, um, a priority to you. Did you guys just want to break even kind of thing at first and then see where it took you? Yeah. Like we knew it would take a while to make a profit. Um, and we had started at our pricing, I'd say on the medium to low end, just to get us into the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within six months we did raise our prices when we realized the, the quality of our service deserved more. Um, and you know, it was, it was interesting to see. It was, it was a good thing we started at where we did. Um, and we didn't have to invest too, too much. Like it was, it was some advertising money with the money to get the licenses and, and get ourselves set up in that way. But it wasn't necessarily a business that required a lot of startup capital, which was good. Um, but, you know, over the course of time, we did start to make a profit. But at the same time, we were both working full time. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't our primary income. Um, and so, you know, probably we did give <laughs> too much away compared to other entrepreneurs. But that's why we started this. We wanted to make the industry and dog owners lives just better. Um, and so it was it was a good business, but our accountant always teased me that I was treating it like a charity instead of a business, which was not probably a good idea in the end, but you know what? It made us happy. We helped a lot of people and we had some fun and you know, it just, when it came down to closing recently, it was just, it just came down to a personal choice when you're working full-time jobs and running this business and we want to start a family and travel. It's just the pieces don't all mesh together very well. So um, no, it was, it worked out very, very well that our walkers could, could carry on. And, uh, it was honestly the best ending we could have asked. Did you have to contact the, um, the rescues that you guys were going to be donating to? Did you let them know ahead of time that that was going to be that that's what you were doing? Or did you just kind of donate your money to them? And then they just kind of were just like, wow, thanks so much. It's a lot of money. Um, usually in the beginning, I would do an email to the rescue, just being like, Hey, just want to introduce myself, let you know what we're all about. And that we've chosen you to be our rescue of the month. Uh, and this is what we do every month. And so then I would post the first of the first month of the day, I would post something on our Instagram being like, Hey, everyone, here's, you know, such and such rescue. They're our rescue of the month because I wanted to use our platforms as well as a way to get people familiar with other rescue organizations. I think a lot of people just at a you know, pure habit and convenience and what they know will go to like animal services, humane society, this and that. And people don't know about all these smaller rescues Mm -hmm. that are doing incredible work. And so when our Instagram and our Twitter started really gaining followers, I was like, you know what, might as well educate people in the different rescue rescue organizations that are out there as well. And so that's why I would always post being like, this is the rescue we're helping this month. And I would always try and highlight two or three things they focus on, like whether it was Dolores at a dog stream rescue who only rescues beagles and hounds from the States and why that was so important or people like Save Our Scruff that do so much to rehabilitate the dogs they take in as well. It's like we always tried to kind of educate and highlight certain things about each one so people could 
become aware and then when they wanted to adopt one day start you know have this wealth of rescues to work from and look for and um so it worked out in the end and then it was always kind of a nice surprise for the rescues when you know the 30th of the month came around and we tallied things up we're like you know we were able to donate this much and they were all blown away because we were the only dog walking company that did this on a consistent basis over the course of the past two years other walkers came out and started donated in ways that they could but no one ever matched how much we could give back which was interesting to see did you have to um ask the did you ever get permission from the rescues to include like a blurb about them at the beginning of the month or did none of them seem to care about that none of them honestly seemed to care because i i would research like you know habitual as a tv producer always do your research first (laughs) and look into everything and so i would I would always look into these places beforehand because I also don't want to put a rescue out there that maybe there are things I don't agree with that they do as well. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to make sure I was vetting every rescue that we supported. And so I would research their websites and go on their Instagrams and social media. But I would always pull photos of the dogs that they had available for adoption and include those in the post as well. Um, So it was it was kind of good because they, they always just, they want the advertising. These rescues are always struggling. They're all volunteer based. They never make any money. They give everything they have. And so they were always just appreciative just to have the shout out and just to have that, even that little bit of support. Cause you know, $400 that could get two pups on a flight here you know, it's, or it yeah. could get a few more travel crates. Like it goes, these people make it go a long way. And so they were just happy for any help they could get. Wow. Yeah. Um, do you keep in touch with the charities? I do. It's interesting. I became quite close with, I'd say, probably five or six of them. Um, because in addition to the dollar a month, we also did two holiday drives where we gave you know large gift bags of donations. Um, and so we would drop off uh, around Christmas time donation bags. Our first year, we started with 15 rescues. And last year, we did 30 rescues. Um, and it was it was nice because, you know, there's always something about the holidays as well. But then when you're dropping off all these donations and people are just so relieved because the holidays are a really, really hard time in the mm-hmm. dog rescue business where there's a lot of surrenders um, and a lot of pups that are just maybe adopted out and then returned because, unfortunately, some people think it's a grand idea to give a pup as a gift and then it's not in the end. Oh, um, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's, it's really heartbreaking. But, um, no, so I did become close with a handful of them because – you kind of you're like comrades in this together you're you know you're all working for the betterment of the industry and society and so it's uh, it was nice to develop those friendships and um you know i still follow them all to this day and whenever i have friends or family that are looking to adopt i'm then able to suggest being like you know this rescue usually had these kind of dogs they pull these kind of dogs like i trust these people because they really do the vetting and the rehabilitation and so it's uh it was nice to kind of get ourselves engrossed in this really welcoming community because it's even rescues within like within themselves they'll cross donate to each other if someone has more food than they need it's a really nice community which i don't think a lot of people know about that they're all there to help each other because they're all there to rescue as much as possible so mm-hmm. yeah they're not there to compete exactly and like if one rescue can't take care of one dog that the other will maybe take it on because they've got the better trainers and they've got more funding and this and that it's a it's a really really nice community did you get to a point where rescues would message you and ask um to be part of the monthly donation we had a few that were tagged like people would tag us on instagram being like think of these guys next time you need a monthly and this and that but 
I think a lot of people understood that, you know, within Ontario, I think I would looked at it up one day. I think there's over 500 rescue organizations just in Ontario alone. And so we knew from the get-go that we wanted to keep as local as possible. Um, there was one month we gave to an international um, organization um, when it was coming up to the the Yulin Festival in China. Um, but, yeah, people knew that we wanted to keep as Toronto-based as possible just to help you know, our homegrown rescue organizations. So people would tag, but no one ever actually emailed us, um, which I'm kind of thankful for in the end. I was a bit worried about that. Just, yeah, you yeah. Know, obviously everyone needs the money, but it was, it's quite a bit, it was quite a bit of pressure on us if we would ever get those emails. But, um, you know, I, I was pretty thankful that no one actually emailed us being like, please consider us. Cause that would just break my heart. And I'd probably just give them all the money. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. like, what if you vetted them and you didn't really like what they stood for or something? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so if anyone else was to open up like a dog rescue company or anything that would give back to, um, the dog community, like charities and stuff like that, what kind of advice would you give them when you're starting out a business? Yes, yeah, so I actually had a client call the other day because she wants to start her own dog grooming business and um, within the same grain that she wants to back as well. And she was asking me um, just even how to get the business started and then how we handled our outreach and handled all the rescues. Um, and so first and foremost, it's business side you have to handle first. If you don't have your numbers straight, you're not going to make it very long. Um, so you have to figure out you know, what your margins are, what you're going to charge, get yourself properly registered, you know, especially with the government as well, because they are, the government of Ontario and Canada are, are very, you know, supportive of new businesses, but they are very hard on you as well. So you have to make sure you have all of your, your business matters lined up. Um, but then really from the beginning, we just tried every avenue possible to let people know we were here to help them. And so, we got our business cards and vets. We started um, with rescue organizations like the new adoptive families that first free walk on us. We helped, you know, foster families with their pups. If they had to go to work one day, we would go over and walk the pup mm -hmm. for half the price. Like you just, you find out what you can afford to do and just help in any way possible. And like when it came around to our holiday drives, we emailed every single dog company possible being like, do you have anything you could donate? In the end, like having 30 massive bags of donations to give to rescues was amazing. So you just, you find the ways to what you can do, like what you can handle. Like you can't, you know, overextend yourselves because then you don't want to have to close down your business. Like you want to just take it slow, find little ways and just really let people know you're out there and things will grow organically. And we were very lucky in the fact that we really hit this niche market mm -hmm. very early. Um, and then it was just honestly word of mouth and yeah, just find what you can do and roll with it and just don't ever get, like, get up, basically get creative and yeah, anything's possible. Yeah, totally. I felt that like once you guys realized that business plan that you guys wanted to go with, it kind of grew, it, it definitely did grow organically. You guys kind of blew up. We did. And it was, it was because we really tapped into that rescue, like lovers bubble essentially like our i'd say 90 percent of our clients in the end were rescues mm -hmm. and people just knew that we were supportive and that we would have the patience because you know obviously some rescue dogs come with their things some are anxious some are aggressive and we just told people from the get-go be like we are here to help you we also 
knew that we had to provide a lot of different options because not every dog's the same. You know, some walking companies will just stick to crab walkers or group walks and that's all you get. But, you know, we developed a system where we had puppy visits, we had senior walk visits where, you know, senior dogs can't walk very far, but they still need the company. So you take them out for 10 or 15 minutes and then you hang inside with them. Mm-hmm. I know we had our athlete, as we called it, for the really crazy dogs who need to go for a run. It's just giving people options because, you know, not every dog is the same and everyone needs a little something different. And, you know, some people want to adopt dogs, but they have to work late. So we would go and do dinner visits and, you know, it's giving people the flexibility and just knowing that you, you have their back. Mm-hmm. You're, you genuinely just care about the dog's well-being. Yeah, because that was one thing I really, when we were researching how to get into this business, I really wanted to see who was out there, obviously, and that if there was anyone giving back, how much they were able to, how they went about it. And I I must have researched. There's, I mean, there's tons of dog walking companies in Toronto because there are tons of dogs. And I think I researched at least 50 companies and found that none of them were giving back. And maybe they did behind the scenes, but no one was publicizing it. Um, and so we just, just like immediately saw that this was possible and that this was something that would really get us out there quickly and kind of make a statement that we were giving back. And it really did. Like as soon as we launched and we put it on Instagram and Facebook, we had friends sharing and being like, look, our friends just started it. And like, not only this is great that they started this business, but look, they're also giving back Mm -hmm. because even, I think it was, it really became like a, a one for one, which was nice. And it was all, you know, the birth of the Tom's shoe company that really started this one for one thing. And I think there's been a certain boost in this industry where there's a lot more companies coming out that are affiliating themselves with other causes and people always want to feel like they're doing some good. And so you really have to like tap into that, that need that people have to just want to give back. And, and we did, and it was, it was with a service that people need every day. Yeah. Did you read, did you read, you said you read Blake's book, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, I loved his book. It was his book was I read it that summer before we launched, and mm-hmm. it was hugely influential for me. Just marketing tips and his, uh, you know, his, his whole reasoning behind how he started his and how he was staying true to his roots too. It's it's important to stay true to your roots when you start a business like this because people literally have will email us being like, "I love that you give back and this and that," and people like our clients would want to know which was rescued the month. Mm-hmm. So it's really you have to stay true to keep your people, you know, your people, your clients, your loyal. people, it's my yeah. people. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I was going to ask if that was a huge, uh, start starting point for you. If you had read his book beforehand, because yeah, he gives away so many tips in that book. It's, it's a business book, but it's also kind of his personal, you know, bi- like autobiography as well. It was, uh, mm-hmm. it was a huge, huge book for me. Absolutely. Yeah, I had it on audiobook and I liked that he had narrated it too. So <laughs> just listening yeah. to just listening to his voice all the time. It was lovely. <laughs> um, do you think that any other dog walking companies are going to um, gain that model? Do you think that it it made an impact on the community to realize that you guys are doing that? I think it did. I think it made certain companies aware. Um, maybe not necessarily in the giving back, um, way, but to helping rescues more. I think a lot of companies would turn away certain types of rescue dogs just because they came with their challenges. Mm -hmm. I didn't notice any companies, um, start donating 
you know, dog walking is one of those institutions where you can make good profit. And I think there are still a lot of companies out there because it is people's full-time jobs. Like Trevor and I were lucky in the fact that it wasn't our full-time job. This was our side business. And so we didn't depend on that for our income. And so that's why we were able to give back. Like certain people may need that profit margin because it's their, their income. Um, I don't know. I would hope that people would think about doing holiday drives or think about, you know, donating if they even have like a little extra funds to this pup's surgery or that pup's travel. But, uh, I, I, I haven't looked recently to see, but I would hope we'd be influenced in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you guys doing a holiday drive this year? We do still have some leftover stuff just as it happens when clients are like, oh, I have this. Do you need it? And I have this. Who do you think could use it? And so unfortunately, our garage is a bit of a mishmash of things. Yeah. So we have we have some donations that we will uh, give back. I'm, uh, I'm trying to figure out who's best to give them back to with um, all the, um, the unfortunate circumstances with the natural disasters this year. I know there's a lot of rescues oh, yeah. that are pulling pups out of the, um, the hurricane-driven areas. But... Um, yeah, we got to figure out who to give them to because uh, we have no use for them, so they have to go to good homes. I think it was just at the end of the day, you, you need more than money to drive you because you're spending 24-7 on a business, and it becomes your life. It literally becomes every conversation, and you're always pitching it to people and always talking to people about what you do. And if it's just money-based, people will see through that very quickly, but if you have something else driving you something, bettering the world, how you're helping this organization, that organization, you know, it's, it'll make the hustle that much easier for you if you have something other than yourself to think about, if you have a cause and a reason and this direct person, place, thing, what have you, that you're helping. I don't know. I just found that it made the grind that much easier knowing that we were out there helping someone else. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much, babe. Yeah, no worries. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. (laughs) (laughs) I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye.